Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode number 62. As always, we're going to cover InfoSec news, tech news, and human news. Then we'll talk about interesting ideas from the week. We'll do discovery, which is where I share my best finds from around the web. I'll share any notes or announcements, and then I'll give my weekly recommendation and the weekly aphorism. So let's get started with the InfoSec news. Tech employees protested in front of Palantir's headquarters because they think the company is basically going to help the new administration build a Muslim database. Palantir is believed to have worked with the government in the past on other controversial projects, kind of in a similar thread. My buddy Jason Haddix and I have launched the OWASP Game Security Framework, which is a project focused on identifying and communicating attacks and defenses for video games. One aspect of the project that I really like, I'm kind of proud of, is a new semantic structure for explaining vulnerabilities. It's something I plan to bring to the IoT security project as well. Progress on the project is kind of early, but you can definitely see the structure that we're using and uh, we'd love to get any feedback. The Guardian is taking massive heat for reporting that the WhatsApp application had a backdoor and uh, numerous experts basically looked at the issue and said no it's not a backdoor it could be potentially an issue it's actually designed in on purpose and it was not a backdoor um, and there's just a massive difference between you know a backdoor that uh, could be used maliciously and a piece of functionality that someone doesn't like the analogy being made for the bad reporting is basically Guardian running a vaccines can kill you story without checking with multiple experts first. GE is downplaying attacks against some of its SCADA systems. Some vulnerabilities came out that allowed a local attacker to extract SCADA passwords from the internal network. GE said the issue was relatively low in severity because the attacks could not be done remotely. Three different issues have now uh, CVEs assigned and patches have been issued. The Hack the Army bounty has paid about $100,000 and addressed 118 flaws. Program followed the similar Hack the Pentagon program that ran for 24 days and paid $150,000 and surfaced 138 issues. The MongoDB database attacks that we talked about last week where attackers were finding, ransoming, and deleting databases on the internet um, are being joined now with Hadoop and CouchDB instances as well. Someone basically said on Twitter recently, it's, if it's a database and it's connected to the internet, you can expect something like this to happen. Sometimes I feel like the attackers are kind of like Joker in the Batman movie. They're actually the good guy, but they have to pretend to be the bad guy to get positive change to happen. One of the first places that AI is going to touch InfoSec is going to be in the SOC. There's a company called Endgame just released a tool called Artemis. 
that is supposed to be something like Siri for the analyst. So the AI component in all these sort of setups generally touches two pieces in the offering, right? It's an interface for working with the system, like issuing commands and stuff. And then it's assisting the analyst with hunting. IPS and IDS will be another place that InfoSec benefits early from machine learning. The key is whenever you have lots and lots of data and you're trying to make sense of it, you kind of get the benefits of machine learning. So if you're looking at lots of different events and looking for patterns that you didn't see before, that would be unsupervised learning, which is what this podcast is named after. Um, and then if you're deciding what's worth looking at, like a yes or no type situation, that's more like a supervised learning. But uh, both cases will be super helpful in InfoSec. Apple is evidently looking at combining facial recognition with Touch ID for the iPhone 8. We can expect, I think, the mobile authentication game to switch from two-factor to being multi-factor uh, throughout this year and beyond. So basically all sorts of sensors providing bio data that could be used as, as factors for auth. So heartbeat, skin attributes, facial features, eye characteristics, voice, uh, voice authentication, etc. Symantec has issued more illegitimate HTTPS certificates. Anonymous has told Trump that he's going to regret the next four years, basically saying that they're going to out him for lots of nefarious connections that he has to Russia. Brian Krebs appears to have identified the author of the Mirai botnet and IoT worm. And 57% of companies can't find enough security professionals. Technology news, Google has started penalizing, penalizing? Yeah, penalizing. They've started punishing mobile sites with annoying pop-ups. Very happy about that development. Netflix has been rewarded for its business courage to dump a lot of standard content and start creating their own. They grew their subscribers far faster than they anticipated. They were supposed to get like 5 million new subscribers in the last three months of 2016. And they actually got 7 million. And a lot of that was international growth. So they look to be doing very well with their custom content. Apple is supposedly releasing a massively upgraded MacBook Pro later in 2017, possibly with 32 gigs of memory and significantly upgraded processors. I guess this makes me somewhat glad that I missed the current or the, the brand new MacBook Pro that didn't have the upgrades. Twitter has sold its development platform to Google. Looks like the beginning of the end for Twitter. Kind of sad, and I'll talk about it a little bit later in the ideas section. Question is, really, who is going to get it? And if no one gets it, what's going to happen to fill the void? And Amazon is looking to train and hire 20,000 veterans for tech jobs. Human news, being sedentary appears to accelerate biological aging. 2016 was again the hottest year on record, according to NASA. The NHTSA's investigation into Tesla's autopilot shows that it resulted in 40% fewer crashes than with human drivers. This is interesting because people just naturally do not want to have the, the robot in charge. 
but uh, 40%, that is just a massive difference in uh, safety. And you sort of have to turn off the emotion and go with the logic and say, you know, I might not feel like I'm safer, but I actually am and just go with it. The World Bank is reporting that we could lose up to 3.3% of global economic performance due to bacteria-based diseases if we fail to act on the problem of antibiotics resistance. It's been confirmed that humans first arrived in North America around 24,000 years ago, which is 10,000 years earlier than previously thought. And I have a link here to the list of highest paying jobs in the US. Ideas. OPSEC is obscurity and OPSEC increases security. This is something I wrote recently that basically points out that OPSEC is the practice of hiding what you're doing from the enemy in order to make yourself more secure. That's why it's called OPSEC, it's operational security. And a lot of people think that if you just hide anything, if you're hiding anything at all, if you have any secrets, then you've basically failed at security. And this piece basically talks about how, no, that is not the case. In fact, secrecy is a core part of security. And basically what's caused the problem here is uh, this Kirchhoff's principle, probably mispronouncing that, but it's a cryptographic principle where you're supposed to have everything about the cryptographic system be open except for the key and still have it be secure. And it's very specifically applied to cryptography. This is not an overall security concept. It's not how you defend intelligence operations or military operations or corporate information security. It's how you build a secure cryptographic system. And people have taken this Kirchhoff principle and applied it to everything. And it's become this massive red herring and it's like the first thing you learn when you get into InfoSec is that any sort of obscurity or secrecy is bad. And uh, this piece hopefully hopefully uh, takes that down a notch. I, I doubt it'll make that much of an impact, but I keep writing about it and hopefully uh, people will pick up on it eventually. Comments on the history of internet security from 2076. This was kind of a fun little thing I just did. Um, I'm just going to read it. Why not? It starts with, as a historian and internet security expert, a crowd question asked Amir Mickelson what he thought of the days of online security hysteria. The question and answer session took place on July 9th, 2076. The question was about why there was so much panic from early experts in infogration. He says, well, it makes a lot more sense when you think about the amount of change that occurred in such a short time. When you're caught up in say, back in the early 2000s, going all the way through to around 2030, it was basically a wild west scenario. People forget that prior to the mid 1990s, there just wasn't an internet. They used to write messages on paper and send them via courier. And there was laughter in the audience. So if you look at comments from security experts of the time, they were completely convinced that everything was doomed forever. They weren't realizing that they had just transitioned moments earlier 
from hand-carried notes and giant rooms full of paper records and metal boxes. I mean, the mid-1990s was the most transformative period in human history. We know that now. We get that now. But back then, the security experts of the time just saw technology as unfixable. And they spent all this time online together, in quotes, online, to complain about how hopeless everything was and how it was all going to hell and how it was completely hopeless. More laughing. Mickelson went on to document a basic timeline for human tech. 1995 to 2028, the chaos period. 2030 to 2054, the integration era. And 2055 to present, the flourishing. Mickelson continued. It's easy to throw stones from our vantage point, but if you live through the most disruptive event in human history, early chaos, and you worked in infogration, called infotechnology at the time, most people listening to this would have a pretty nihilistic view as well. It's human nature, and it's happened during every major human change before it as well. The initial internet and the chaos period that followed was simply the most significant one of them all. So that was just a fun little thing. Uh, obviously, it's pretty obvious what I was saying there, but it, it's, it's that if you apply some perspective, if you listen to InfoSec Twitter, right? I mean, it's just constantly making fun of users. It's constantly just talking about how the sky is falling and like everything's broken. It'll never get better. Everyone's so dumb for doing things wrong. And it's like, if you just look at history, if you look at how major of a change we're going through right now, you should just assume that this is going to happen. It's completely predictable. It's completely obvious that it's happening. And we've got to write it out. We have to do our best while we're in it. But uh, this sort of perspective going back, you know, from uh, this is what, 50, 50 years in the future, 60 years in the future, looking backward, it looks a lot more clear and obvious. So that was kind of fun. Google's AMP technology is not a good thing. This is uh, a thing about AMP technology. This is uh, accelerated mobile platform, I think. This is a Google tech where they, uh, they encourage people to write their website in this mobile format. So it's, it's not a, a thick client app, it's a web, web format but it's made to be viewed by mobile browsers. And the idea is when you do a Google search and you find a hit for this thing, Google will serve it to you and you'll read the article and it'll look really clean and it'll load really fast, but you never actually went through to the website. Google kept you there. You're reading a cached version from Google. And the more and more people do this, the less and less traffic is going to actually go through to that website. And it's not so much about the traffic. It's not about ads or anything like that. Most of these uh, people who have this content don't have ads. But the bigger issue is that the concept of the internet, the concept of the web is to have, well, if, if you think about the word web, you think about the word net. Webs and nets, they're all interconnected you know, fabrics. And Google being the behemoth in the center, controlling the gate, to the content is now saying, you know what? I'm not even going to send you the content. I'm going to keep you here because if you stay here longer, 
I can control, you know, what you do and what you see and you won't ever leave, right? They're worried that you're going to follow this link and then go away and not use Google and therefore not make them money via ads. I think it's poisonous and nasty. And, uh, this is just about that opinion, basically. Content publishing's biggest problem is discovery. And sort of the subtitle for this one is that uh, machine learning is needed for this. I'm going to do a, a bigger piece on this, but the idea is that machine learning could be a way to sort of turn content creation into a meritocracy, right? Right now, 99% of of people who create content and I'm just making up that number. It could be, you know, 80% or it could be 99.9%. I think it's probably around 98, 99%. People write blogs, they write stuff. Nobody reads it. There's, they don't broadcast on Twitter. They don't do anything to sort of evangelize the content. It just sits there on like Tumblr or wherever. Nobody reads it. And a lot of these people are, they're writing amazing stuff, right? They just write over and over and, they're producing great stuff and no one is listening. And when you go to find good content, where do you go? Maybe, maybe you go to your favorite website, like, you know, Fox or, you know, Huffington post or salon or wherever you go, or maybe you go to an aggregator like Reddit. But in all of those cases, there are these biases, right? They, they're controlling who gets to enter. Are you a journalist? Are you a legit blogger? Oh, do you have lots of, you know, background in the space? Um, do other journalists know you? Or if you're on Reddit, it's like, are, are the mods out to get you? Or are you blogging about something that they don't like? Um, and some of the some of the Reddit stuff, they don't even allow content that isn't from like the top like 20 websites. It's got to be a, an established news site. So if you're an individual writer who just started a blog or whatever, there's no way you can get it seen by these aggregators. So my idea was, this is the perfect case for machine learning. So imagine you have this amazing piece of content that got a 2 million views in like a day. And it's about whatever. It's about NASA or it's about Trump or it doesn't matter what it's about. Um, <clears throat> and what happens is machine learning goes and looks at that content, breaks it down and clusters it, right? It, it finds patterns in it that says this is what high quality content looks like, maybe about this subject or maybe in general. Then it has this, this software would have a list of all the different blogs that are out there and it would need a way to find them and, and curate them or whatever. But it has this list, it consumes the RSS, it reads the article and it clusters them in a similar way. And what it would be able to do is say, based on what I know about these thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of amazing articles that everyone loved going back as far as we can go back. We know that this new thing that was just created by this person who just started their blog yesterday is just as good or likely to be just as popular. So what we could do is we could do a Reddit, but powered by machine learning instead of by moderators and, and, trolls and people who are trying to, you know, push their content and take down other content because they're, you know, doing black hat SEO or they're making money off the site or something. So machine learning could just say, look, I don't care about any of that. 
All I care about is what's good content. And because it's machine learning and deep learning and, you know, both unsupervised and supervised learning, it could tell what's good and what isn't. And I think that in the future, platforms are going to be based on this. Think about finding video this way. Think about finding texts, poems, essays, new music, written music, performed music. It could parse YouTube videos and, and find the best content. Um, I mean, this is, this is one of the best uses of machine learning is actually looking at the 99% of content out there in all these various genres, art, science, I'm not so sure. This is better for art, I think. But basically finding the 99% of art that nobody knows about that's full of amazing content and bringing it to the fore through some sort of interface. I think it would be a fantastic alternative to these big name sites that have limited bandwidth and limited ability uh, to, to harvest the best stuff. And similar to Reddit, they're, they're full of biases. So I'm hoping machine learning could really push this forward. What does the end of Twitter look like? I don't really want to go into that. I basically, I, I basically said here that uh, I hope Facebook gets it as opposed to it dying completely or going to Google where it will die slowly. I'm not sure what Microsoft would do it. I mean, I'm not sure who else would do it. There is sort of the dark horse of Amazon who just shows up and does amazing things. And maybe they could just build their own Twitter and put it out there. And maybe it's controlled by, you know, Alexa or whatever. And by the way, I could say that name because it doesn't activate my thing anymore. That's a later story. Um, but anyway, yeah, Twitter looks like it's blowing up and it's quite sad. And something is going to have to fill that void because it's basically national or global infrastructure at this point. The sound of silence, the downside of sharing your opinions online. This is not my piece. This is someone else's. But uh, she writes some really interesting stuff in this, uh, basically talking about how there's a cost to saying anything interesting, because the more interesting it is, the more likely it is to bother somebody. And that there's a, a cost and overhead that basically accumulates if you have any sort of public persona. And eventually the cost just, it, it tears you down and you just decide to say nothing. Uh, so she called it the sound of silence. It's fantastic. Uh, you should definitely check out the link. And uh, the next one here is uh, what I was just talking about. Change your Amazon Echoes wake word from Alexa. Uh, you could basically, there's four different options. Alexa is one of them. There are three different options aside from that. And you could just change it and, uh, I give some reasons why, why it's potentially a good idea to do that. And uh, discovery. This is a great link. This is various AWS services explained in clear English. It's just fantastic. Tells you, it has actually a really cool format. It tells you, here's what it's called. Here's what it should have been called. Here's what it actually does. And here's what it's like. And gives you some similar services from other companies. It's just a fantastic format. It lays down all the different services. Definitely worth a read. Awesome Threat Intelligence, uh, a curated list of awesome threat intelligence resources. That's excellent. 
raw graphs. This thing is blowing me away. I've been messing with it. You feed in your own data and there's a bunch of sites like this, right? But you feed in your own data and it gives you like this graphical interface to display it in so many different ways. Think of it like it, it's not command line or customizable like Splunk, but imagine like the, the reporting capabilities and the visual interface of using Splunk reporting. It's kind of like that, but you could just use your own data, chop it up. And they've got a whole bunch of pre-made stuff. They've got sample data in there. It's fantastic. You, you should go and mess with it. Again, it's called Raw Graphs. And obviously there's a link in the newsletter. Family Tree Now. This is an unbelievable OSINT resource for finding information on people. You just like put in your name, put in your state, whatever, and it finds you. It finds, it finds like all your previous addresses. It finds like your contacts. Oh, you're probably married to this person. You probably know this person. It's uh, super scary. Also super cool if you're into OSINT, but um, I'm basically building it all into all my OSINT workflows because it's so powerful. Jonathan Zdjarski shows how you can use the MacBook Pro's touch bar to initiate a system lockdown. Machine learning for cybersecurity. That's a good link there. It actually talks about some of the stuff I mentioned in the InfoSec news. SOC use, IDS, IPS. There's lots of different places we can use both supervised and unsupervised learning within security. Got a link here for how China fabricates social media posts for strategic distraction. And my InfoSec buddy, Leslie Carhart, is doing a great project on her site called Ask Leslie. It's an InfoSec question and answer flow in the spirit of Ask Abby. So questions start with, dear Leslie, and it's like, I'm trying to get into InfoSec. What is the best thing for me to do? And uh, the person signs off as like, you know, Attila the Hun or whatever. And Leslie writes, dear Attila the Hun. And it like gives this great, you know, really kind of positive and uh, endearing, you know, the same way that dear Abby was. Like a personalized, very, very close and um, high quality answer to the question. I think it's a great project and I hope she keeps it up. And rules of machine learning. Google's best practices for machine learning engineering. No notes this week. The recommendation for this week is to consider changing the wake word for your Echo devices to something other than Alexa. Your options are three different things which you can uh, go through. And I've got a, a link there to the post that, that talks about how to change it. And the aphorism for this week is dream in years plan in months, evaluate in weeks, and ship daily. Prototype for 1x, build for 10x, engineer for 100x. And that is by DJ Patil. All right, that's it for this episode, and I'll see you next week. All right, thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.